Thank you, friends, for joining another amazing episode. Now, here's some coaching announcements before we get started. So we are going to be talking about this contest that we're going to start. Now, Mark Your Calendars is going to start week of May 24th. So what it is, it's a lead up to our 100th episode, and we want to be giving away prizes every Friday. So I will be giving away prizes every Friday on my live uh, coaches corner. Now how you can win, you go to iTunes and you make sure you're subscribed, leave a review and five stars and you will go into a draw. Now don't forget to leave your Instagram handle so that I can find you and don't forget to go check out my website sylviedau.ca for all the local bike maintenance clinics, learn to group ride clinics. If you're new to cycling, this is something you definitely should sign up for. You're going to learn all the things that you need to know to be a safe and confident cyclist and online group and my online cycling skills programs. Plus, I just started a cycling fitness membership for working out. This is where you can really dive into becoming a well-rounded cyclist with strength training. Now go check all those out. I can't wait to see you. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everybody, welcome for, to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Do, And I have an amazing guest on here. She, like, I can't even tell you. Wait till you hear about all the things that we're going to talk about today. But this is Denise Mueller. Poor and Nick. Yes. Yay! All right. We had to practice that. So <laughs> you guys have to watch the YouTube because this will be funny. All right. So before we get into bringing Denise out, I'm just going to go through a couple of the things in her bio that are really extraordinary and like you're just going to die. Okay. So first we'll start about the, with the athlete background now this is her racing career and this is current probably most current to when she started as a cyclist and we're going to get into her story but the thing that's really cool about Denise is that she is the second okay hold on here she's the second time Guinness world book record holder for paced cycle land speed land speed of 183.9 miles per hour. Okay, so that in Canadian, <laughs> in, in kilometers is, okay, that's like 296. <laughs> yeah, two, okay, do you guys get that? For us Canadians, 296. <laughs> 
96. I got my car doesn't even go that bad. Okay. And and so she beat the 30 year um record held by okay, the record held by a man that held it for 30 23 years. Did I get that yes. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, from the Netherlands, Fred Rumpelberg. Wow. Okay. And then she, okay. So she was also the first woman to ever set a pace cycle land speed. So that was what we just talked about. And we're going to dive right into there. She hasn't just done that. She has a U.S. woman, a woman's human powered cycle record holder. We're going to talk about that at 70.6 miles per hour. So for us, that's like 140 kilometers um 15 national cycling championships and i believe that's through your whole career yes 13 of them as a junior and the two as as um masters <laughs> yes masters racers two-time world junior okay she's completed over 50 half marathons and completed over nine okay over nine marathons and i thought i saw an iron man yeah here an iron man <laughs> So she's pretty much got everything covered and she's also a business owner and entrepreneur, which I absolutely love. She's going to, she is the CEO of Rancho Santa Fe um, security systems and Rancho Santa Fe protection system, which is a third generation family business. Awesome. Okay. So we're just, and she's a mom of three and this, uh, this is how she got all done. Cause she started early. <laughs> Yes. So like when First like child at 20. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was just like, when she got started, I was having kids. No, oh. <laughs> I had my 39 and 41. So like, it's like, yeah. um, and, uh, her other interests are car racing and, and firearms. And I was just like, <laughs> let's just dive in. Welcome Denise. I can't wait to oh. hear your story. And just, I got so many questions for you, but I want to hear how everything got started. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, <laughs> I, I listened to the bio and I'm going, you know, cause I am totally girly too, but it's like, mm -hmm. I am such a tomboy because I go after anything and everything, you know, firearms. I have an off-road motorcycle. I, you know, it's, but I grew up in a very male dominated industry of the security yeah. and everything else, but I, I get my nails done. I get my lashes done. I know and, you're you know, gorgeous. I mean, I'm girly. Girly. <laughs> it's, it's like the girly tomboy, but, uh, yeah. so, um, yeah, how I got started, uh, I'm an only child from my dad, but my mother's fifth. So I have the, the benefit of being the youngest, the, the baby child and an only child, which that comes with all sorts of syndromes, if you read books on that. Um, so with me, I was, uh, I definitely never had anything stop me. Um, so with that, uh, my dad was a jogger for many years while I was going through elementary school. And by the time I hit junior high um, or middle school, however you want to call it, um, they, I was at school one day, our, our, my grandfather had bought my dad and myself a mountain bike, a diamondback mountain bike to ride our bikes on the beach because we're here in Southern California. And it was a great idea, but there was not much shoreline during that stormy um, winter that year. And so I was at school one day and over the announcements, they mentioned they had this charity ride called the Bike for Breath for Children's Asthma League. 
And that was in 1987. So in January of 1987, I hear the announcement. I come home with the paper that I went into the office to go get and said, hey, dad, they have like the 25 miler, 50 miler, 75 miler and the 96.5 miler. So I'm thinking it's a month away. And yeah. it, what's funny is when I come back around on this whole one month away thing, it, it just comes. Yeah. Even, even new things happen only a month away. But anyhow, um, he looked at it and went, we're going to do the hundred miler. And I went, what? I've been on a bicycle. I mean, we have these brand new mountain bikes. So we trained for a month. It was one of the most miserable times because it was just, I mean, I enjoyed that my dad and I time, but when you're sitting out there and he developed a training schedule to do this huge, you know, hundred miler in less than a month, it was just a lot of time in the saddle. And I didn't, it was a lot of individual time. And it wasn't my thing, but I went to that, that age, probably event. like, um, yeah, I don't really want to ride my 13. bike for four hours, <laughs> 13 years old, 13. Oh my gosh. And yeah. Um, so I was spending an awful lot of time out on the bike and I didn't see the value in it. When I did the event, it was actually February 4th of 1987. I had the most fun because of the social atmosphere okay. and yeah. I was hooked from that point forward. I, absolutely. And that's the it, it, it start of it. And then of course, everything sort of ties right back to that. Cause then this happened, then I did that, you know, so I don't know how deep you want me to get into sort of the whole lineage of how I ended up. Dig. Okay. This is, well, but this is good stuff. Cause you know, like, yeah, I want to hear it. All right. Well, I, you talk about. So I had so much fun doing the social aspect of doing that hundred miler. It took us almost all day long, but I was so excited that my dad saw that excitement. So he started looking at every charity ride and we're in Southern California. I mean, we, we were February. We had many months of charity rides to find and we would go hundreds of miles away to go find a weekend ride. And so we were helping obviously other charities, but I was getting these awesome bike rides in almost every single weekend with these huge crowds. And wow. I learned, um, cause when you have those charity rides, you get all levels of cyclists. So I developed my, uh, my spatial awareness and my bike bicycle handling skills through all of this because going through I, everybody. Yep. Well, and watching out <laughs> for the people who don't know where they're going because they hadn't been on a bike in a long time. So I really developed that quick, quick movement. And uh, I learned also drafting moves works really well because someone else gets to do the work. I can sit on their wheel. And so I learned how to hop, skip and jump around and keep on the fast wheels and do more than what I ever could do on my own. Well, amongst this ride, we'd have people come up to my dad afterwards and goes, you need to get that girl into rate. You know, you need to buy her clipless pedals. So my, my dad went out and bought clipless pedals. You need to buy her a better bike. You know, it's like all, like, all the things people here, were like, here. yeah, telling tell my, dad, my dad that I need like new shoes and a helmet and yeah. <laughs> more cycling shorts. Yeah. It wasn't new clothes for school. That would have been cool for someone to say that too. But I, you know, I got, I just progressed. And so I remember, so one of the things we did was my dad and I rode our bicycles from San Francisco to San Diego, which is about, you know, a little under 700 miles. And it was a youth, American youth hostel. And so you stayed at hostels the whole way down over a two week period. Cool. So we got to be really family with that group of people we rode with. And the very, very last day of the ride, now I'm 14, because this is still in 1987. I mean, all this transpired in 1987. 
So this is August of 1987, the last day of the event. We're coming down through my hometown and I missed my doggy who I hadn't seen. Um, and I, you know, going through the campgrounds above Camp, Camp Pendleton, this, this, this guy with white hair goes buzzing by me and I go, free wheel. And I get right on his wheel for about eight miles. I am just right on his wheel. And little did I know that was John Howard. Um, you know, three-time Olympian, first Ironman winner, race across America, second place, um, land speed record holder, Pan Am gold medal. I mean, just phenomenal. So 1987, I see this free ride going by and I hop on that train. He then talks to my dad. He, he says, I need, you know, he says, who's this little girl on my wheel? So we talked for a while. <laughs> He's like, the ones you look yeah. back, you're like, yeah. Well, yeah, there's this little innocent, you know, 14 year old just sucked on his wheel. <laughs> and so I love he, that. Yeah, he within within one week, he had just met with met with my dad because my dad wasn't with me. He was further back. He met with my dad and said, you need to get her into bike racing and she needs a racing bike. My dad, guess what, <laughs> went out and bought a new racing bike. I entered my very first race down in San Diego within a month of meeting John Howard and I won it. And these girls wow. that have been racing against each other forever, all of a sudden, oh, here comes this unknown, and I win the race. So um, I was so hooked from that point on. And literally, that was the trajectory that just took me to my five beautiful years of racing as a junior and um, attaining 13 national championships, going to World Mountain Bike Championships in Italy, getting second place in the downhill because that mountain ended up bike? being my favorite. <laughs> did, wow. Did you mountain bike and road bike? Yes. Okay. I And my favorite truly is mountain bike racing um, downhill. Um, if I were to say my second favorite would be criterium racing for the road. So I love yeah. crits myself. Yeah. Not many people do that scares oh. them. And I'm like, oh no, oh, my no. ADHD mind loves the constant motion. I love the strategy. I love the speed. I love the corners. And that's why I was saying like before, I just, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in that space. And like mm -hmm. I said, if there's, if there's anything I was going to come back to now would be crits because, mm -hmm. you know, they're quick, they're fast, they're painful, but like, it's not a 90 K road ride, like yeah. race, which is like, Oh God, I know exactly how they're going to turn out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I could, I could train for speed and make it work and and then I'm like and it's it's quick it's over with and, you know like you I'm must like all into the twitch. quick and yeah yeah you must be yeah, fast twitch because that's what I generally am too and that's why we're good at the crits <laughs> yeah so that's why I was saying yeah if I get back into racing now in my 50s then that's what it's going to be that and maybe time trials but even time trials yeah yeah. I still love the speed, like being fast that way. But uh, so you had five great years and then. Well, I hung up the bike and I hung it up for several reasons, but one mm -hmm. I truly regretted and always wished was not one of those reasons. Um, Cause at the time, you know, I was going to be go to what they were calling juniors. Then you went to senior. Now mm -hmm. it's just, you know, your regular <laughs> women elite. Um, and so I yeah. was, I, I was going to transition into a new category racing. My parents had been going through a divorce and the business issues and a partner had come in. 
you know, transitional life at that time mm-hmm. was going on, which are all one excuse. But the other one was I had allowed race anxiety to overcome. I mean, I was doing oh. so well, I'm winning races. So when you show up at the start line and all of a sudden you're the focal point of all the other ladies that are there at the start line and they're watching you. You go to a national championships, you won it last year. So guess what? You're the target this year. And all that that pressure, and it was a pressure that I had created because I, within my mind, wanted to believe that I needed to impress the sponsors. I needed to impress everyone who expected of me, the spectators, and I needed to match my coach's expectations. And they never put that pressure on me. It was me who threw it out there and acted as if I needed to do that as my motivation. And it backfired. I would get to the race line at that last year and my stomach was in such knots. I mean, I remember one uh, national championships right in our backyard in San Diego and John Howard was watching me. And he even says to this day, he says, I watched, she lost her spark. It's gone. You know, I just had lost the will to do it. And I remember going up that 1992. Um, so I'd finished 1991 was my fifth full year of racing. And then in 1992, I was going up Tory Pines grade. In fact, going to my other coach, um, Doreen Williams, to her place. And I remember crying up the hill. I'm, I said, I'm done. And this was March. So the season hadn't begun. I go up and I see her and I said, I'm done. And I literally hung the bike cold turkey up. And I thought I was going to be such a disappointment to everybody. Because remember, I created that artificial pressure. Everyone embraced what I wanted and let me do it and had no problem with it. They didn't try and tell me you should do this or why are you thinking this way? They, they knew I needed that time off, not knowing how long it was going to be. But I hung that bike up and literally did not touch it for at least a decade or more, just to even ride it once. It was hung it up. Um, I went full, full headlong into my parents' business, which I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. Had children, no regrets. You know, so the, the, the trajectory my life took is one I would never undo. But the reasoning behind getting out of the racing was the one that always nagged at me. And I just pretty much sort of went, I have to accept that and learn from that and leave it right there. And so, um, lo and behold, I be, you know, mothers, you know, CEO of a company, you know, just like a lot of people, career, family, career, family, and that becomes your priority. I knew I needed to stay healthy, but I'm very social. So I started going to the gym at 5 a.m. in the morning so I could be home by 630 to take the kids to school and what have you and get them ready. Um, And I got to meet up with a group of wonderful, you became family, the crazy people who go to the gym at (laughs) 5am, you all are crazy because you're one of them too. (laughs) So you all have a connection already. And we became really family. We would go to events together and what have you. And I, and this was one of the most beautiful things is here I am 20, almost 20 years out of racing. Right. And I see these three ladies at the gym. They decide that they're going to do the rock and roll San Diego marathon. They're all going to do their first marathon, these three. And we watched them train for close to a year in preparation for doing it. And they did some of their runs 5 a.m. in the morning on the treadmills. And so the day of the race, a few of us from the gym said, hey, we got mountain bikes. Let's go down there and go hop, skip and jump around and cheer them on. Oh, little did I know that that one thing, the inspiration of watching these three ladies who had set a goal and we're watching them attain the goal they worked so hard for would literally 
lead me to the land speed record without my knowing that that was going to be the case because we went down there we watched him do this event um, the marathon and had a blast and I remember distinctly going oh, I'm going to do this next year <laughs> and so they inspired me to set my first ever outside of the gym you know your standard normal keep healthy stuff at the gym to set a goal and I trained and it and for in that year I did my very first marathon the same one they did I did a year later and it was such the amazing springboard into every other goal that ended up leading me to the land speed record so it was actually a beautiful thing and my big takeaway on that was you just never know where inspiration is going to be and how it'll affect you. And I have since then, after my first land speed record, I've come back to the ladies and I said, you have no idea. I can tie everything I have done to watching you do your race and that inspiration. And they were like, what? So yeah, so oh. that's sort of the, the, how I sort of started. You know, there's a little more on how the dots all connected along the way and John Howard coming back in, John Howard getting me on my bike, but my getting back out and setting big goals that are out of my comfort zone started in 2009. And I did my, like I said, my first uh, marathon in 2010. Wow. So this is like, so this is 20 years after you've had kids. So you've, you've done the whole, so the kids are relatively teenage years at this point. Yeah. My, my children are born 94, 95 and 99. So yeah, by that point, 10 plus 10 is the youngest, probably uh, 11 is the youngest on up. Wow. So did they inspire you as well? Or did you inspire your kids to get uh, like as a mom or were you out there with your goals and they were just your cheerleaders? Huh. You see a lot of families, you know, ones out there and and uh, doing all uh, like a lot of uh, the activities. How are the kids jump in? That is excellent because um, I sort of, I'd, I'd say drag them along. Um, actually, ah, what had, that's what, what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I have my oldest. Um, he was in high school and he was doing robotics as a freshman in high school. And so oh. he had something that I spent time with. My youngest was in Pop Warner football. And, and he had something I spent time with. And my middle son, like proverbially, a lot of people talk about is the middle son sort of gets left out, their middle child, you know, sort of the forgotten child. And he had just entered high school and was, because my oldest are only a year and four days apart. And so he entered high school, different high school from his brother and was, was really struggling and having some issues. And I saw a lack of, of something for us to share like I had with his brothers. And so I was sitting here going, I'm doing this marathon and I'm six months into basically my preparation for it. And my middle son, I just, I talked to him and I go, listen, let's find something to do together. Do you want me to enter you into surf lessons? And he's like, nah, I've been there before, did that. And I'm like, okay, how about, you know, I come up with a big goal. Maybe we can do something together. And I said, and I used my example. I said, I just created a big goal for myself. I'm going to do a marathon in June of next year. And I said, so that's my big goal. And, you know, come up with a big goal and I can help you along the way. And he looks at me, and goes, okay, I'll do that. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. you ain't getting off that easy. <laughs> I swear All right, I'm going to do the marathon with you. 
Oh, so I that, swear that's what I thought he did was, oh, shut up, mom. Okay, fine. I'll do that. So I, I questioned him for a couple of weeks and he was like, no, seriously, mom, I'm going to do the marathon with you. And that was oh one God, of the most awesome. beautiful journeys. So because he was having struggles in school and I mm -hmm. wanted to do something shared with him, I was in the middle of a goal. He hopped onto my bucket list goals, which was like so cool. So we shared all this training time together and the day before, and this is how all the dots start connecting. The day before we go to the expo to pick up our bibs, we've done all this training for a full marathon. And he looks at the schedule for the rock and roll series and goes, hey, half marathon ain't nothing because we've been training well over that. And he looks and he, he looked at his dad, um, his dad and I and went, I want to do all the halves next year that they have, sort of the whole series. And he was now developing his second goal that was his and his alone. Because remember, he jumped onto my bucket list, which was cool, but it was sort of he jumped onto my goal and he had decided to do that. So his dad and I talked and went, okay, well, some are in Virginia Beach, you know, some are in Florida and some are in, you know, Chicago. <laughs> oh and, gosh. I mean, oh, they're all across. Yeah, the, the series is the entire US. <laughs> ended up being 19 half marathons in 12 months. And he was 16 years old during 2011, and he did the absolute full series. Now, I ran a lot of them with him because then, again, he just caused me, if I'm going to have to be there, you don't send a 16-year-old on an airplane and, and go say, figure it out, right? One of his parents had to be with him, and I did a lot of the traveling. Well, if I'm there, I might as well run. So now I started doing the states and I started knocking off different states for half marathons. So that created okay. my goal. Right. So the answer, so with my son, he did that. And then the next year, of course, the little brother, typical little child syndrome, um, anything his brother can do, he can do. So he wanted to do a half. So he did his first half in 2012. So my middle child did his first half marathon with me in 2011. And of course the entire series and oh no 2010 he did his and 2011 his youngest brother did a half and in 2012 i was doing a double header in washington dc rock and roll and then the uh, new york half and so it was saturday sunday double header and my oldest son who is now i think he was 16 no he's about 17 or 18 he went mom i want to go to dc and i want to go to new york i've never been and i, I looked at him and i said okay here's here's the plan <laughs> You do, a, you do a half marathon so mama can brag the rest of her life that she had three children and three successive years do a half marathon with her and I will take you and we'll have the time of our lives. So he trained and we did our half marathon together in DC and got to explore New York and DC and everything together. So I, I sort of drug my kids along. Actually, the youngest was, I can do that because my brother did it. He drug himself along. My oldest, it was, uh, you want this trip? You do a half. <laughs> <laughs> but Denise, that's amazing. Cause like, you know, that's something you guys are all doing together, right? You're all training together for one sport, yes. you know, instead of like four and, and you guys got to experience that too. And half marathons are easier on your body than full marathons. So, mm -hmm. and, and yes. my God, that is so cool. I really like, and kudos to your sons for, or your son for getting into that. And then the other one's like, Hey, I don't see them. As, everybody's running and I'm not. Well, the, wow, they that all must saw have felt amazing. Fun. 
Yeah, they saw how much fun their middle brother who was going to all these states was doing. I mean, it wasn't just, hey, we're going to go down the street this weekend and go run because that wouldn't have been yeah. as appealing. The appeal was the adventures we were on. We had an adventure yeah. in Texas twice and, and Oregon and I mean, in Washington. I mean, we went to all these different places because that's where the event was. And we'd come back with all these stories of things we saw. And it was like big old field trips. And like my other sons were like, well, I want to have some fun too. Yeah, really. <laughs> you're like, well, you're going to have to run. Yeah, that's start the running. focal point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's super cool. So this is what led you into finding your coach again. So mm -hmm. how did, how'd you come across him again? And then how'd he plant the seed to, well, to go and do that? And like, did you even know about this? Oh no, because he did it before. Yes. And there was no, yeah, other I knew one. about okay. it. Yeah. Cause he was the 1985 record holder. His was beat by Fred Rompelberg in 1995 and Fred is who I beat. But um, how we came to be of reconnecting, my coach has lived a half a mile down the street from my office for as long, you know, <laughs> as long as I've known him. So very good that we've both been in that same area. When my son decided to do all 19 half marathons, I had coached him to do the single marathon, just followed an online training program. And we had one thing we were doing, which was no problem. Mama can handle that one. Now I've got a 16 year old with growing joints and bone, bones, and he's going to want to do 19 half marathons, not racing them, but to, you know, do them. I didn't want the responsibility of something to happen to him. I needed to now get a coach to make sure to be able to prepare him for all the events over the course of the year. So I reached out to John Howard and I said, hey, John, I know you've done Ironman. I know you can coach, even though cycling's his main event, he's ran and he's run or he's ran and he's also swam. And so with those two, I know he'd be able to provide that coaching. So I reached out to John Howard and said, would you coach my son in a, with a training schedule that'll help keep him healthy? And so he said, sure. And he goes, by the way, <laughs> been out on a bike lately? And I went, no, nope. I still got my two racing bikes, right? From 1991. And this was now oh, 2000 and, uh, 2010 when I'm talking with him. <laughs> so um, he goes, okay. He says, tell you what there's this bicycle ride from San Francisco to San Diego and it's 2012 was the year, uh, let's see, 20, 2012 was the year that I did San Francisco to San Diego because I was doing all this running with my son. I couldn't focus on that for 2011, but he said he got me back on the bike and he got me to sign up for this charity ride, which was from San Francisco to San Diego. See the full circle on this one. I met John at the end of a San Francisco to San Diego right, bicycle when ride. You're with your dad. Yep. Yeah. So here he's getting me back into cycling unbeknownst to me through the San Francisco, San Diego had an awesome time. <laughs> he saw something I didn't know was within me. You know, you sit there and you go, ah, I've lost whatever I had before. I'm just a cyclist. And he saw the spark in me because I also race junker cars um, on racetracks. So yes, total tomboy. Um, so I'm an adrenaline junkie when it comes to that. I love going downhill. I love going fast. I love drafting. And so he sat me out down one day in 2012 and went through all those things. I'm like, John, what, where's this going? You know, he's like, you know, you like doing this, you like doing this. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And the second the words came out of his mouth, I couldn't believe I had never 
thought of it, but it took less than a half a second for me to say yes, because he gets through all of this and then goes, you realize no woman has ever even oh. attempted the bi pace bicycle land speed record. And here I have a mentor who's done it, someone who believes that I have the skill and capability and mindset to do it, and then throws that. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> so that's no how that happened. <laughs> Let's do this. Yes. Okay. So what there's 2012. That was 2012. And so I had already planned to do an Ironman in 2013. So I knew I couldn't purely focus on the cycling. So we had taken 2013 as a year of finish out the goals that I had set for myself, which was Ironman. The irony is 2012, I had gone through a divorce. So it was a very challenging year, which also allowed me to be so open to a focal point like a land speed record. But because I had been going through the divorce, 2013 was planned out. I ended up, and, and this was my rebound relationship, which was <laughs> the athletics. So my yeah. rebound man was doing an Ironman, a half Ironman. I turned 40 in 2013 and I went and did a marathon on my birthday in Antarctica. So I, I actually did three continents, six full marathons, three continents with six full marathons, 18 half marathons in 11 different states, a half Ironman and a full Ironman in 2013. Yeah, that was my rebound. <laughs> it was wow. a healthy, healthy focal. So after I finished <laughs> Ironman, we went straight into planning for the land speed record because we had decided to do it in 2012. And oh, like I said, cycled through my whole 2013 goals that I already had on calendar, didn't negate right. those. And then 2014, I started bicycle racing again. And that was one of the things we, we chatted about a little bit earlier was yeah, I, I, the race anxiety that I had was never a problem when it came to running halves and everything. I am mid-packer. I just have fun doing these. However, cycling is my talent and I win doing those. And so with that comes those race anxiety expectations. So when he mentioned the land speed record, I'm just going out, I, no matter what speed I do, it's just me with the car doing a fat, going fast and I get a record. No brainer, there's no other pressures. <laughs> well, John said, yeah. you know, your 13 national championships when you were a junior and all these other you know, world medals that you had, it's a little not outdated, but not as relevant. And we, and he wanted to establish more relevance relevancy for my, my athleticism so that when I do land speed record, there's a reference point that others can say, Oh, it's not just somebody who got on a bike. So he said, I want you to get into bicycle racing. And there went the stomach like, <laughs> um, I got out and I really had been at peace and letting that go, even though I have my regrets and then he said on top of it, and I want you to win a national championship. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> and how much you pressure? have to win. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so well. <laughs> first of all, I do not believe that I have that in me. I know I'm crazy and I'm a nuts enough to do this land speed record that other people wouldn't even attempt because they're not as crazy as I am. So I have the evil Knievelish gene in me, but now I have to go out and prove myself on the bike and I did a lot of mental preparation. I started Criterions, which is my favorite on the road. And um, 
I did my first race in 2014 in February and I didn't have much race anxiety because it was literally just getting out there and having fun. But when I started, you know, getting into a team and then now you're part of a team and helping each other out, I had the capability, but I also, I held back and um, I went to see a hypnotherapist uh, who happened to be a tenant in my building and uh, <laughs> It, I ended up winning eight straight uh, criteriums in a row, and they basically kicked me up out of my category right at one of the start lines. They said, this is your last race. I'm like, uh, I think I know what you mean. No. It's my last race is a cat four. So they yeah, kicked really, me up. Cat four. Yeah, now you so, go cat one. No. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, so I, I had an opportunity and how I viewed it is I always try and look at the gratitude or the positiveness of the situation because there is an absolutely everything there is that element we just have to really look for and focus on that and so I looked at this as an opportunity to overcome that regret that I had when I left the sport as a junior and I did everything through mental um, you know visualization I had a CD with with positive, um, positive messages that I'd listen to at night. I did neurofeedback um, three times a week. I did my hypnotherapy that, like I said, I won eight races in a row after I had gone through hypnotherapy. I mean, it was like, holy moly, this stuff works. Um, so that, that was a big, huge overcoming element. And here's the amazing part is so that my coach sat there and then to know me as well as he does. He, when he said he wanted me to win a national championship, he knew that's a lot of pressure. So he decided we're going to go out on a tandem and do the tandem. So I still have a national championship, but it sort of like takes a little bit of the pressure off. So of course we go out to Utah for the masters nationals and I am not a hill climber. <laughs> I am a big, fast girl. Um, my, my nickname is Glamazon woman. So if that gives you an understanding, I am not this little hundred pound nothing. I am a five foot eight, 150 pounder, right? <laughs> we don't climb really? hills very, very well. <laughs> so oh yeah. Gosh. So, so I'm just, I'm muscular. I fast twitch. And so we end up going out there. We get third place in the, uh, the, the event, the tandem event, because the last seven miles was up to the ski resort, straight up climbing. Oh, one of those. I hate. Those. Oh my gosh. I was sitting on the third place podium with first and second. You know how much higher they are? I was still taller than both of those women. I mean, one of my legs was both of the, was the, their entire waist. I was like, well, no doubt I'm not going up that hill that fast. So I had a day off. And I had entered, of course, the criterium because that's all that I've been doing in Southern California. And remember, let's see, this was two years prior when he offered up this thing that I was going to do, the land speed record, when he asked me to win a national championship. And I go out there and I win the national championship. I, so they combined 35 to 39 with 40 to 44 because I was in the 40 to 44 category. So we had a field of two different national you know, titles going on. I actually beat the 35 to 39 year olds. So oh, I came wow. across that line first, which made the, the, the lady who came across second was thinking she got second. I went, looked at her number and I said, oh no, you just won too. <laughs> <laughs> but I won my national championship. I mean, my coach saw that. And oh, then not only that, as I came back the very next year, 
with this ginormous target on my back. I mean, my number was on, was written on tape on the, you know, the top tubes of all the other writers. They knew they were watching me because I won it last year and I won it again. I mean, it was like, wow. you know, talk about the belief a coach can have in you, the way a mentor can do phenomenal things when you have an accountability partner, someone who totally believes in what you're able to be done. It's like one of the most important things to accomplish meeting your goals. Sure. Oh my God. I, I love it. I can't believe you went on a tandem. I have one sitting right over there. It's oh. funny because my daughter, um, I got uh, kind of, I don't say roped in, but my daughter made it to the para, um, para athlete program for Ontario as a visually impaired cyclist, but she's only, she's 18. So she has many years of development. She's like the youngest, like para-athletes come in at like 30s, 40s, right. 50s, cause you know, something has happened, right? Um, and uh, they, they approached me, they're like, can you work with your daughter? And here's a tandem bike. I was like, uh, okay. I'm like, neither of us have ridden a tandem bike before, but I've raced and, you know, like, yeah. and you know, obviously figure it out. So, but this was like last September. They're like, okay, we're going to come by. Um, she was, she applied, she got in. They're like, okay, here's a, a bike to train on. And I'm like, okay, all right, Tamsin, uh, let's go riding together. <laughs> that is oh awesome. Because I've actually um, been on the front end of a tandem with a, what they call have the pilot. I've been the pilot or the captain, mm -hmm. however they, you know, they have a couple words for it, but yeah. they have a, a club down here called the Blind Stokers Club. Oh, and so yeah. I volunteered with Dave White and his club and oh, been on the front end and, and Cara Vattenhauer um, from the US. And again, same type of thing, an older age group or what have you is we trained and I went down to the Olympic Training Center with her for oh, a period of time. So that was, so it, was cool. it was such a beautiful feeling to be able to be able to help somebody and do that. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but oh my God, we went out for and just getting the gearing, right? Because like, you know, when you're on your bike, you can kind of look down and sort of like, okay, like, where was I? And I looked down, but I'm like, <laughs> yep, it's way back there. there. <laughs> like, Tamsin, where am I sitting? <laughs> And I'm just like, and then doing the hills, like just, oh my gosh, like you have to be so on your gearing. It's, it's crazy, but that's really cool. Cause, um, they're, and I'm like, oh yeah, I could be the pilot, but there, but then the guy's like, really, um, she's going to need somebody who's, uh, you know, well, and I get it because she's, you know, if you're the most, the, I know you're thinking like, of course you can do it. Of yeah. course I can do it. But if my, I've like, I have not gone to a Pan Am's. I have not gone to a world's. I'm not even trained a lot. I have not trained in like seven years and if she, she needs, she wants a chance. She needs somebody more experienced. And I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, like, like I know a built in like, person that's able to train with her regularly. And how yes. beautiful, because I am a firm believer of, of, you know, that fun phrase, Yeah, you know, just get up in the sky, build the plane as you're flying, you know, that, or this, this, I, I ruined cliches, but it's basically <laughs> go out and just do it. You're going to learn along the way because well, that's how it. beautiful like, she's going to be pulling you on up. 
because you're going to have to be there to be able to be that for her. So it's going to drag you up <laughs> into well, I'm just saying like, you know, I can be at events and be competing beside, yeah. you know, like at the same event, but, um, and yes, so we have the bike and we can train together so she can gain more experience being on the back of a bike. And, uh, when they, you know, when they pair her with somebody who has the experience that's going to like, you know, has been to all these, uh, you know, podiumed at these events and then they can, you know, take her to the next level. I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, we could train together for four years and I can get it, but seriously, if I want her to have a chance, I gotta, you know, step aside and, 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 you know, cheer from the side and be the, you know, be there if, if so, something falls through and you, yeah. you know, like, yeah. all right, I guess I'm going to pilot for you today, but <laughs> don't, don't crucify me if we don't win. But uh, yeah, so that's awesome. Now let's get into the record. Okay. I have like the training, the bike, the car you're you're following like I have all these questions and I know we've already almost talked for an hour but the thing is that this is this is what really get, like I didn't know all the other the background but tell me about like well I know how you why you decided but tell me about like the training and so how many years did you train mm-hmm. what kind of in a synopsis of what you trained like how your training was set up and then how do you figure out the bike is that a a a like okay you guys have to see these bikes like I was just on the internet like on a um a newsletter and they had all the no I actually just googled you and I got all these pictures, pictures like, and things come up yeah yeah all the pictures and the cranks and the small wheels which surprised me lower center of gravity oh so talk to me yeah just talk to me about the training and the bikes and then we'll get okay. into the car and and i was uh I was, how's this work so, Sounds good. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. You, you went out for just, you faded for just a moment. Dang internet. So the training, well, I talked a bit about the mental training as I did plenty of mental, if not equal parts mental as I did physical, because obviously this is something that is way out there. It's not just getting into a bike race with a bunch of other people doing the same thing. You're doing something one, no other female had done. Number two, only a handful of men have done, but they've been doing it since 1899, which was the first record. So you can't emulate and practice doing the record in the form the record comes in because you don't have access to going out to the Bonneville Salt Flats and getting to a point to where your vehicle or their bicycle gets released or having your driver there or getting permit. It's just unreasonable to be out in the exact circumstances. So you have to emulate it from a physical standpoint and muscle preparation. So did all the mental um, preparation for just racing and also preparation for being at comfort and ease and in a calm, peaceful mindset when I'm out there. 
So with that on the bike, my training, I would do motor pace training. So I would go down to the velodrome and motor pace behind an electric motorcycle. Mm -hmm. So that was one day. And so we do certain intervals that would again, help emulate the time that I was going to be out on the salt flats behind the uh, vehicle, the Mm -hmm. dragster that was a model. And so we did that. I had a coach that was my weight training coach, Jacques DeVore. He's up in Beverly Hills area, which is a good two hour drive away. So I would go up there at least once a month and do uh, muscle te- testing on my uh, wattage output for my legs. And he would go through a very specified program that I would do down at the gym where I live. And so that was, you know, weighted lunges. I'm sitting there with 40 pounds in each hand. So 80 pounds and I'm doing minutes, you know, six to seven to eight walking lunges back and forth and and in a sequence. And so we built up a lot of power and a lot of strength in the muscles. Um, I already had natural downhill mountain bike, you know, bicycle handling skills. So that in and of itself is a huge aspect of this record. So that was already inert within me as far as my years of training as a junior. And you just don't lose that ability. Um, And then I'd get out and do interval training and speed group workouts and still do criterium racing in preparation for the record. And so John Howard was my my overall coach, but I had Jacques DeVore, who was my weights and, and, and gym coach. And so then when I went down to the velodrome, I knew that was Uh, motor pace day, but Matthew Hoffman, he was the one who dictated what I would end up doing. We passed it through my coach, John Howard, to make sure he was on board with it, but pretty much Matt was in charge of that day. So a lot of on bike uh, uh, and in the gym preparation from the physical aspect. But again, I couldn't emulate this. It's um, when I now going into a little bit on the bicycle end is it, and I'm sure you'll be able to bring up a beaut, there's some beautiful pictures of this uh, bicycle. I was like, yeah. Yeah. So the geometry really of the picture. bicycle was copied from Fred Rompelberg's bicycle from 1995. And if you pull up Fred Rompelberg's bicycle and you put, pull up mine, you will see the copy of the geometry. Fred's a bit taller, so mine was geared down a little bit towards my size of 5'8", versus Fred, I think, is 6'2", or 6'3". He's (laughs) maybe not that big, but he seems that big to me. Um, But we had a a KHS was our sponsor um, throughout all this from the very from the instinct, you know, the little tiny seed of a thought of doing this all the way through to the end, they were there. And I absolutely appreciate that with them. So they sponsored the custom build. And this custom build was done by Len Lockmiller out here in Ranch Bernardo area, San Diego. And it's all carbon fiber, but it is like five times thicker than any carbon fiber bike you would see out there. Very one custom off made. Um, And so we emulated Fred Rompelberg's geometry, and then we modified to, well, wheels. Um, What sort of dictated our wheels are twofold. One, the smaller the wheels, the lower center of gravity you have, which is a good thing. If you think about it in extremes, you don't want to have 20 inch wheels because, or, or you don't want to have 30 inch wheels because you're so high off the ground. And the higher you are, the more in, more unstable you are. Lower to the ground you are, the more stable you are. So we had 17 inch wheels, and those wheels like a had, motorcycle. Yes, they were scooter racing scooter wheels, and I did oh. find out that, like later they were only rated to 120. <laughs> 
So you just sort of ignore, uh, and this is another He doesn't need is, to know. <laughs> it, it, you, you trust your team that you have given. So here, here's the person, you know, building out the vehicle, trust the team. Here's the person building out the bike and trust the team. And here's my coach saying what I need to do in the gym, trust the team. Here's, you know, so my way of handling things and, and compartmentalizing is it is handled. I trust completely. I know they will do better than what I would ever think I could do because they're experts. I'm not in what they're doing. So I completely put trust in that. So the bicycle is about seven feet long. So again, stability. A semi truck is a lot more stable than a little tiny sprint car. So the longer the wheelbase is, the more stable it is. The smaller the wheels, the lower center of gravity. And with the gearing, we, most people look, they have one chain ring and one cog. If I were to try to achieve the gear that I used on this bicycle with only one chain ring and one cog, my chain ring would be a 300 tooth chain ring and literally cutting into the ground, or I'd have to raise the bottom bracket so high, I'm now losing stability. Um, and then I'd have to have an 11 tooth cog. So a 311 would oh, probably gosh. give me about the gearing that I did for a 60 tooth chain ring to a 12 tooth cog, which is then in series with a 60 tooth chain ring and another 12 cog. That gave me the same gearing ratio. And basically every time I turned the cranks, because it is a track bike for lack of any other explanation it is direct drive so when the pedals when the wheels are turning those pedals are turning there is no freewheeling and it's only one gear you don't change gears because you don't want to have something to go wrong when you're going 150 miles an hour and you got to go oh i need to change gears and then your clunk get into another gear and mechanically or you just slow down happen. one of the <laughs> yeah God. well that's another good one is oh. the slow down process that was the most terrifying but we'll get to that but anyhow, so yeah, so the gearing was you know, important, but I had to be towed for the first 110 miles an hour. And we got up to 110 while I'm being tethered to the car yes. in a mile and a quarter. And I still had three and three quarter miles to go under my own power and continue to increase in speed. But we had to get up quick to speed up to 110. That allowed me to finally turn that gear over. Because again, I'm only doing 67 RPMs or my cadence is only 67 when I'm hitting 110. And when I'm done no with this, way. I'm doing 120 RPM at 180 plus miles an hour. Oh my God. Okay. Everybody just <laughs> think about that. <laughs> she, so at first I was like, okay, how is she, is she being pulled by this car? And I read, I just quickly read this article before I got on with you. And, and it explained how it pulled you and then it released you. And then you had to, so you're going like 110 kilometers and, oh, sorry, miles an hour mm -hmm. at 60 RPM. Like that is, so, that's slow. Yes. When you start that, looking at the video again and watch my I, pedals, my pedal yeah. cadence, you can directly tell how fast I'm going in that video based on how quickly the pedals are going. And you can see when I first start out when the tethers are on, because I have a bungee cord and then the tether cord, because when I release, I have a break, my, my left hand is the release for the tether because I release the tether when I'm ready. And I release the tether when she notified me 
we're at we're at mile marker one and i knew i was going to be releasing very quickly i hit the release and the bungee cord just pulls it out of the way so it doesn't drag and drop into my front wheel which would be really bad <laughs> but um yeah you can see when you when i'm taking off just how slow my pedals are going so rewatch the video and it's i'll watch the video oh my just god look at pedals i'm just watched my pedal or uh, the cadence yeah i was thinking like 60 rpm like i know what 60 rpm is like i'm like so it i'm just thinking hard. like oh my gosh like her legs must be going so fast but that's why because the the cog in the front is so big it slows your legs from like blowing off your, your body, yeah basically yeah <laughs> But I, I had to be faster. able to hold it together at 120 mm -hmm. RPM at the top speed. Right. Because now I'm going like this and now I'm being buffeted by even more air. My my I'm lucky that I am able to very be very stable at 120 RPM. I'm not putting out a whole heck of a lot of wattage because I'm my sweet spot of wattage output is really not there. But when you're going that speed, a lot of the again, the air is helping you. So it's it's this constant almost baton trading off the baton of who's doing the work at all times so that's why you're kind of like in a little i want to say like a little hut so that yeah. it's kind of all the fairing yeah the fair of oh, fairing um the blinders no it's just like but <laughs> like so, a horse yeah that's right so yeah so you don't get all that air and i guess from the vehicle as well and as you go faster Oh my gosh. Like now that I really think like through everything, I was like, holy, holy shit. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> but like, holy my gosh. So, okay. All right. We go. Okay. Tell me what you were feeling like when you hit max, like what was like the feeling about your legs? Like, I'm just, I'm just like, wow what were you feeling and what were you thinking? Like, what is the one yeah. thing you can really remember about? Oh my God, like I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Oh my God, I'm really doing Like, what, what were you thinking, Denise? Well, when <laughs> there's a certain Nirvana, of, yeah. I have, I have ADHD. And so in my life, my brain's going in 12 directions at any one given time. And so for me, I have this focal point on the bump bar that's in the in the back of the fairing. I have a bump bar on my bicycle that goes straight up and down. And then there's a bump bar on the, on the fairing that goes perpendicular. And we have some checkered tape right in the center. So my focal point, as we go, start going faster, my field of view gets narrower and narrower and narrower. So I am staring at that center. And that is where I always want to be. The faster I go, the more the wind is buffeting me left and right and left and right. It's getting more and more violent. So bicycle handling wise, my entire focus is, is probably just a, a few inches, three inches of a circle. Um, and I can't even look down. I, ha I have my bicycle computer, which gives me my my GPS speed, not the official speed, but it's it's pretty darn accurate. I couldn't even look down to my bicycle computer and look back up at my focal point because, again, it takes a moment to refocus. I could end up hitting the side of the fairing, you know, one in one second. Now, people know the American football field. And in one second, I would go from one end zone of that football field to the other end zone. One, one thousand. Boom. 
I covered an entire football field and I did that 19 times in a row in that last mile. So if you think about it, for me to have unfocused from my center point, look down at my computer and look back up, an entire football field of distance would have gone by. And one micro move in the wrong direction, because I'm not focusing on that center, could be the end of everything. Because one micro move can move you three feet over in that amount of space. So there was no ability to think of absolutely anything, which was a beautiful, calming moment. I just don't know how to describe it other than I've not been in this situation, but I've heard people talk about being in a car accident. And they said, oh my gosh, everything happened in slow motion. Now they're in the middle of a car accident, but they can remember the slow motion of everything occurring. Well, that's that time distortion that occurs when you are so hyper-focused, there is not another thought in this world going on. And I've commonly said, the faster I was going, the slower everything seemed to be happening. And it, it's, it's counterintuitive, but if you think about that car crash that people talk about, and that's what happens is there is such a singular focus and I'm so in that moment. I can't think of fear. I can't think of, am I even doing this? I can't think of anything. And then when I get done is when it sort of all floods in all these thoughts that have been sort of waiting stored back there. Like, oh my gosh, I almost hit over here. Oh my gosh, did I really do it? Oh my gosh, I don't want to go back out there. Cause you know, that last run I did, the run prior to it was 155 miles an hour. So 155 to 183, that is a huge change. And in it came a lot more risks that I had not felt in any of my runs. So when I finished the run, all the floodgates of, holy crap, that was close. Oh my gosh, that almost happened. And at that point, I really started praying that I had done it because I don't know. I don't know my speed. I have no communication with my driver. I have no clue. And for the very first time in that final run, I had fear creep in, which I had not. I had done so well in my mental preparation. It was not there, but I had too many close calls in that last one because we, we just pushed it to a whole nother limit to where when I was done, I was praying that I had done the record because I literally did not know how I was going to go around, wait in line again and try and push the limit when now I know what that felt like. And if that wasn't the record, oh crap, that means I have to go beyond that. And I didn't know if I'd survive because it was too close calls for me. And, and then that was when my son, who my, my youngest, who was 18 at the time, he comes up the safety road and I ride my bike off and hang on to the passenger side window. And there's a video, we have a Facebook live video. If you, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see it from my son's point of view. And there's a video in there where he goes, mom, I think you did it. hundred. And he thought it said 186 or something miles an hour. And I went, what? And you could hear me go, what? And, you know, we get to the timing station because of course, this is my 18 year old. He pulls my leg all the time. So I, I don't believe him. So we get to the timing station and they pull out, everybody's cheering and I look at it and it's 183, nine. And I knew I had done it and the relief, first of all, elation oh of accomplishing the goal, but relief that I didn't need to go out there one more time. Cause now I was going to have some mental things to have to yeah, overcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so happy to be done. It was unbelievable. So, but from a physical standpoint, when you're doing something like that, 
you don't think about your legs. I never even thought about my legs. I mean, you're, you're in party mode the moment you figure out you've done this. So it, it, I can't tell you how difficult of a task it was because I never felt the results of it because I was all in excitement mode afterwards. So I'm just wondering, your driver is a female you picked. How did she know to keep going? Because when you're done, how, how does she know you're done when, when you kind of cannot keep up with her? Like you kind of um, disappear out of her view. Like how does, how does she know that you're done or she can push you further? Like what is it? Was there like a bit of a plan there? Like if you hit a certain thing on her speedometer that she just keeps going until she sees you starting to slow down. That's basically like. Well, yeah. Shay Holbrook is my amazing race car driver. She was the same race car driver in 2016 when I did the women's record at 147 miles an hour. And again, came back two years later in 2018, same driver, thankfully, because we built upon that history. Right. But to answer your question is, it is a five mile course. It is already a preset course where the timers are. So we do not go beyond the five miles. We exit as, as fast as we can. So our measurement is in mile marker four to five. Okay. That is my average speed. No matter what we did, that is what the record is. Okay. Um, or that is what the numbers are going to be. Once we hit five miles, we had some lights in the back of the, of the vehicle and she would flick them. And that's the only visual that I had was knowing where we were on the course. So when she got done, the lights would flash and said, you know, basically we're, we've hit five miles because I can't see anything but this very small three-inch field in front of me. Like, I can't uh, see the mile markers going on. I got to start slowing my legs down. Yeah. Well, actually, and I had mentioned that one of the most terrifying parts of the entire yeah. event is the slowdown. Yeah. So I have to, when she hits the five mile mark, she does not put on brakes because they're, first of all, her brakes wouldn't really work very well at that speed. What she does is she lifts off the accelerator and I bump into her. So we were going, we exited, I believe it was around 185. Cause again, it, we, we, we topped out 188 in that last mile. And I think we exited at 185, but my average was 183.9. Um, so we passed mile marker five, the event is over, the timers are all done. So she's flashing the lights. So now I know come now comes slow down mode and I have to hit the car. So I have this perpendicular up and down bump bar car has left and right bump bar. And I have to pump bump up into her while she's relaxing on the accelerator and she has to take me down. She is my brakes and we are touching with about the size of a quarter. I know I keep making all these American references. Don't worry, <laughs> but, we know what a quarter. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I mean, but the size of a quarter is the only spot touching between her and me at 185 miles an hour. And she has to be my brakes all the way down oh. to 110 miles an hour. And at 110, I am now safe enough to exit the draft. Because what you had said earlier about, oh, when you just can't keep up anymore. No, that would be deadly. If I was going yeah. 180 and she, just, and she just sort of outdid what I'm capable of, and I had to be, as I mentioned, burst out the back end of that draft, I would be blown off the bike. 
I, I would not, I would probably at 180 not survive the exit of the draft. Um, wow. I have exited the draft when we've, when we were in training and she accelerated faster than I could keep up and the draft wasn't strong enough yet. At 130, I exited the draft and it was like, it was like um, being a surfer in one of the most violent waves that, you know, you, you have That's to go still 200 kilometers wave. an hour. So, yeah. So it, it, but it's survivable. It's yes. so, but I knew at 110, it's very comfortable to be birthed out of the back end of that. So she would, it took her a mile and a half to take me from about 185 miles an hour down to 110. When she hits 110, that's our agreed upon number. She slams on the accelerator and push, it basically accelerates me out of that pocket. So now the wind, which has been coming and pushing from behind me, as we slow down, the wind is getting less and less intense of pushing from behind but it's still pushing me forward. So she accelerates and the wind all of a sudden goes from pushing me to in my face. It's literally a birthing process is the best way I could describe. <laughs> it is a 180 degree shift of that wind, <laughs> but it hits me all evenly and it becomes my brakes. And I was very excited. Oh, okay. I wanted her to leave me at 130 because it was so terrifying to slow down. Again, the size of a, of a quarter is all that was touching and she was my brakes because I couldn't use my brakes doing that. So right. um, yeah, brakes. It was, yeah, it was right. it. <laughs> you know, everyone talks about the record. I'm like, well, you have no idea compared to the slowdown. <laughs> yeah, because right. so. yeah, you just, I mean, like, right. It's just like the picture is like, oh, that's super cool. But then you, when you really start thinking about like, how did you actually make this happen? Like, yeah. but that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So wow we're gonna have to have you back for something i don't know i know i have to have like part two yeah <laughs> that's right there's so I mean, much <laughs> well i have a feeling we'll be seeing each other again anyways because i forgot to mention we met on clubhouse yes <laughs> through a mutual friend angela Gorin, which is yes. she is training for the, the women's hour, world one hour record. record yeah for yeah. one hour one hour Oh, one hour. Oh my God. Yeah. So no, now see, I'll <laughs> I know, go I, was like, uh -huh. I won't go for an hour. I'd be like, <laughs> again, my ADHD would be like, da, 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 da. yeah, that's right. <laughs> you go girl. We're doing like, well, oh my gosh, Denise, this has been like mind blowing, extraordinary. I won't, I'm going to go, um, if you want to send me the actual little videos, mm -hmm. um, I think I can maybe I can add the links to the description. So everybody who's listening to this podcast can go back to the description and check out those videos yourself. Awesome. Uh, you want to send it. <laughs> so share with me um, any links from that event that you want to have uh, so, the, so, so that we can get a big, like, um, you know, like um, a visual. Mm -hmm. I got a pretty good visual, but uh, for those who are, have not been, you know, raced and not been on the track and not, you know, like it might be a little bit more eye-opening for somebody else, but, um, thank you so much. We're going to, we're going to like wrap this up. Cause it's been like almost an hour and a half and, uh, but it's been, it's been so like such quality information and discussion. I have like, you have no clue. We do need to talk again, like just over coffee, just the two of us forget everybody awesome. else. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Well, when <laughs> but, if your daughter ends up coming down here, I'll be glad to take her out. I'm, uh, John Howard would probably lend me his tandem and I'll, I'd be glad to take her out oh for God. some training rides. <laughs> I personally would love to go to California. That hurt. <laughs> yeah. take me out. Okay. Well, you just have to bring her along too. <laughs> yes, we'll bring her along when we can travel. But yes. so Denise, I want to thank you. And I want to thank all of our listeners too for jumping in and listening to this podcast. Like, Woo! Uh, that's why I do this is to bring really cool, extraordinary people like Denise to the audience to like, because there's so many amazing people around doing really cool things on bikes. Yes. And I have no doubt that Denise is going to figure out something else to do on the bike. Oh, yes. That, that, that comes back to that whole comment I made about something about you know, in less than a month of time, when I, I did my first bicycle race, it was less than a month ahead of the, the suggestion. So oh. I just got a carrot dangled in front of me to do aqua bike. So I'm doing a swim bike event in Florida in May. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting, but <laughs> I have seen that. I'm not sure about it myself. People don't look like they're having so much fun on there. But you can let I'll me know what you bike, think. I'll have fun. It's the swim part. I'm just going. <laughs> You're like, oh, but it's an aqua bike on the water. No, it's it's a duathlon, basically. It's, it's, oh, it's, okay, you okay. Swim, I thought you were talking you about 1500, those. 1,500 meter swim, and then you have a 40K bike ride. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to get on those like aqua bikes. Like they have those, these aqua, yeah. like this cycle. And I was like. Oh, <laughs> okay. You have to tell me how you like that one. All right. You're going to have to let us know how you do that, but thank you everybody for, um, listening, please let's hear what your biggest takeaway from Denise was. And also please don't forget to put on your notifications to get the next amazing episodes and, um, putting a review Denise and I would love a review, a plus five stars, right, Denise? We, yes, nothing yes. less than five stars. Um, <laughs> and thank you so much. And we hope you have an amazing day. Thank you so much, Denise. This has been amazing. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Always love to share and hopefully inspire others. Oh my gosh, yes. How many other women would want to do that? Contact Denise. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.